You know, I mean, not that, not that there's a silver lining to losing a parent while having a child, but the interesting, I guess, silver lining and looking back is that, you know, motherhood didn't feel as overwhelming in the traditional way I thought it would be. And so I had a lot of space to cry about my mom, but I wasn't, I, I, I felt like I, I was keenly aware of my energy around my daughter. So you want to make an impact. You're thinking about starting a business, sharing your voice. How do women do it that handle motherhood, family, and still chase after those dreams? We'll listen each week as we dive into the stories of women who know. This is Call Me CEO. Many times we ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? But so often we forget to ask, what do you want to become? And how do you want to feel? And this next interview with Rupa Menta is all about her experience with showing the duality of a parent and child and what they can learn from each other. Let's dive into this story. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Call Me CEO. And this episode is extra special because we are talking about motherhood, duality, and also what it is that you have to teach someone now that you stand where you are. And my guest here is Rupa Mehta. And she is the author of Someone Calls Me Mommy. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm showing the actual book in my hand. And it is such a beautiful, unique story written about mother and child from each perspective. And it's unlike anything I've ever read before. So Ruka, I'm so excited to talk to you about your book and what a beautiful experience this has been for you. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's such an honor to be here. I'm so excited to dive deep with you. I feel like I'm going to learn about my business and myself just interacting with you. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to do it. I love that (laughs) anytime that I have conversations like this, I feel like I grow as a person and understanding how business can work and develop and grow. And it's, I hope the same for the guests too, where as you're explaining your passion for something, you ignite that understanding more within yourself. So I hope that that is the case. And please share with us your journey and what brought you to writing this book. Yes, I guess, I guess I'll start with this singular moment that started it all and then maybe take a step back. I was hanging out with my daughter, who's going to be three on Sunday uh, last year, and she had been jumping in a lot of like rain puddles. And it was like a long morning. I mean, she's like obsessed with these yellow rain boots, which I feel like every child goes through. She wants to sleep in them all the time. Yes. And I was like, you know, tall, we have to take a nap. And she just looked at me and she's like, mommy, I don't want to take a nappy. My rain boots are happy. And oh. she, she just like, I don't know, just the way she delivered the line. It was poetic. It was sweet. I just love that she gave the rain boots like a happiness thing. And the way she delivered it, poetically, sadly, uniquely, I don't know what the right word is, reminded me of my mom who had passed away not that long ago, about a couple of years ago. And so it just, I, I think it just started unlock something in my brain where I've been wanting to heal from the loss of my mom. I lost her at the same time I had my daughter. And just that night, I started writing poems from my daughter's perspective and my perspective about 
motherhood and whether it be napping, breastfeeding, working, all, all the things that come up. And I felt like I could really access my daughter's voice because she reminds me so much of my mom, whose name was Nalini. She just, my mom is like a sassy mother Teresa is the way I describe her. And my, my daughter feels that way too. And so it just kind of flowed out of me and felt like a very cathartic moment. And I'll just end kind of your question saying that I think that my, my entire adult life, all my professions I've done um, has always been about education and like learning a child's perspective. Um, and so it felt like a very natural extension for me. It was, it's been very healing to write this book. I can't imagine the process of losing a mother. I actually was just watching This Is Us. I don't know if you're familiar with that show or not, but there's a part of that episode where he says, I don't have a mother anymore. And he breaks down into tears. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, going through that process of losing someone so integral to who you are as a person and that nurturing, I can imagine that this was a very cathartic thing to do. And I'm curious, as you wrote this book, what was it that gave you the idea to show the duality of both the child and the parents? You know, I mean, not that, not that there's a silver lining to losing a parent while having a child, but the interesting, I guess, silver lining and looking back is that, you know, motherhood didn't feel as overwhelming in the traditional way I thought it would be. And so I had a lot of space to cry about my mom, but I wasn't, I, I, I felt like I was keenly aware of my energy around my daughter maybe in ways that I wouldn't have been aware of before. And as a result, I just picked up on her cues and her personality and her facial expressions. I feel like maybe earlier on than I would have, you know, I always thought my mom would be around. I'd have this big family kind of hanging with my daughter and me. And that, that, that just wasn't my journey. And that just wasn't the case. And so I think in these very isolated moments with my daughter, I really felt like it's like, it's just you and me, like, I'm the top female dog in the family right now. Like, I don't have, yeah, I thought I was going to have the emergency contact of my mom. Like, I'm now the emergency contact for everyone. It's just, it was a play on roles that I wasn't prepared for. But as a result, I was more aware of my moments, if that makes sense. It does. It really does. What do you think is something of a legacy that you were able to infuse into this book that came from what you've learned from your own mother? You know, my, my mom had, I'll give you a quote from my mom. My, she used to always say, like, if I called her and had a bad day, she'd be like, Rupa, you should be like Walgreens, hang out on the corner of happy and healthy. Like She just, <laughs> had, like, she just had these like very funny one-liners. Yes. You know, she she was born in India, came here to this country, really created this beautiful life. And she the way her she pieced together words, I just always found very sweet and innocent and childlike. You know, I remember she'd be like, sometimes you just have to shut up, sit and smile. And she didn't mean it like shut up, like, you know, in a like an aggressive way, just mm -hmm. kind of like you have to shut your mouth. And, and so I feel that that energy when I see my daughter, I see that energy a lot. And I see that in a lot of toddlers, just kind of just like it is what it is and piecing together these 
amazing sentences and we, we were able to bear witness to it every day. Um, and so I feel like the legacy of my mom is already in my daughter and the legacy is kind of continuing because I feel like I'm getting the same lessons again. You know, I could get obsessed about nap time and then I, I think of something from my daughter's perspective and she's probably like, it's not a big deal. Like, are you always sleepy at the same time? No, <laughs> you know? So it's, oh, it's, it's been a way to channel the wisdom of a grandma that I was hoping was going to be there. And then the childlike wisdom that we all get exposed to. I love that so much. Now, before the call started, you mentioned that this quote, who you are now and what can you teach us is a perspective that you've tried to infuse into your life and in your business. Can you expound upon that a little bit? I, I think it's so beautiful. Yeah, I am. Um... Well, I run a nonprofit called Nalini Kids, and I ran a fitness wellness studio in New York City for the last 20 years called Nalini Method. And in, in both those business environments, I always wanted to, I, I was always in a teaching role, but I always felt like I was gaining so much more from my students. And so when you kind of level out that playing field and enter a classroom and say that, yes, I have information to share and so do you. And who are you now? And what can you teach me? Rather than going in and asking a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or kind of going into an environment with another fellow fitness professional and just being like, this is all my stuff, you know? The, the exchange, that's where the real value comes from. I mean, I, I love that when I communicate with my husband or my friends, I like the exchange of ideas. And so why wouldn't a child like that? And, you know, everyone has such different experiences. And I think of my daughter now, like she has a wealth of experience. Like right now she's at this little school. I mean, she might've learned something in the day that could benefit me and just the way she phrases something could definitely teach me something. So I, I think putting other people in the role of teachers, it has always been a good habit to teach and to practice in my own life. Yeah. And I think that there's so much to be said for that because as parents, especially as kids get older and they're all so different, I'm the mother of four and the oldest is almost 14 and 11 is my next. And then I have an eight and a five-year-old and they all have very specific ideas of the ways that they see the world. And some of them are very different than the way I see the world. And just when you think you have it figured out, the next one comes along and they're like, no, I see it this way. And this is what seems fair to me, or this is how I paint the world. And I think that that's really why parenthood is so worthwhile is because you are having to adjust and learn all along the way. Would you agree with that? Yes. you like, you get to be a student again. I remember one of these experiences I had with a, a seventh grader in a middle school and I gave him a blank piece of paper and I, I, it was just an art activity. And I said, what does this blank piece of paper need to become a work of art? And he's like, it already is a work of art. It's a blank piece of paper. And mm. he just like gave me all the reasons. And I was like, I had never, you know, I, I know I, I think of it as a blank canvas and stuff, but he really thought that that was the piece of art. And I don't know, just in moments like that, you know, you really ha have to make yourself available to take that in. And so when you do, I, I think it's priceless. And I think it happens often with toddlers just yes. as they're learning language and they're figuring things out. There's no filter. You know, they're just very upfront with what they want. Like I know potty training. I, I just, 
I just, I, I learned a lot during the potty training phase. I'll put it that way. I don't, don't want to take you in a different direction on the podcast, but to the, put it this way, I, I learned a lot from her and her verbalizing it, giving her privacy, all those things, you know, and it made me realize like, you know, you have to respect the independence even at a very early, early age. Yes. Oh my goodness. Potty training. <laughs> if there is a crown that could be earned, it would be from potty training children like that period. I don't know. Are you, so those of you who can't see Rupa is pregnant. She is five weeks away from having her next baby. Are you having a boy or a girl? A boy. Okay. I was going to say, if it's a boy, get ready for a really different scenario with the potty training, because my son, I kid you not would like, he saw a potted plant and like would whip it out in front of a restaurant, (laughs) like facing a street and want to go to the bathroom right there. And I'm like, no, 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 this is not okay. This is not. And he's like, oh, but it's green. And it's, you know, like at home in the grass. So yeah, I would just say it's every kid is going to be so different. And especially I think with potty training, it is such an interesting dynamic of control and incentive. And if they even want to, like, it's just such a power play that goes back and forth. So best wishes. I was (laughs) really happy when I was done with my fourth thinking, I never have to potty train anyone again, (laughs) because that is a labor of love. It's so interesting because in those moments, you know, I realize how much I've been trained as an adult to like, you know, someone at some point taught me how to share and listen and all, mm-hmm. like all these things. So, you, you know, I mean, not that I thought potty training would come naturally by any means, but you really, you know, you're there step by step, but every step of the way. And like, it's just a learning opportunity is like the way I learned it. Now I know I had an older brother and like, I don't know. I try to be him. I tried to stand up and oh, uh-huh. yep. it did not work out for me, but nope. it's, like, it's, it's just that all these little moments are, are true learning opportunities. And if you can voice them, it reminds me of that movie. I loved so much. <laughs> Look who's talking. You ever see that movie? With yes, like, I re- uh-huh. It's been a minute, and, but yes. It's, I mean, it's all from a long, long time ago. And it's just I just remember cracking up at like whenever there's a voice put on a baby or someone or you can like see what their personality is like. I I think it's so eye opening. Yes, it really is. Okay, we're going to take a little step into this book. I'm going to show you the child's perspective and then I'm going to read to you the mother's perspective. And this is called Another Mommy. So, well, you know, I'm going to start with the tale of the other mother. So this is the mom's perspective first. The other mother doesn't get upset. The other mother doesn't skip a beat. The other mother has a perfect marriage. The other mother has time to eat. The other mother reaches her goals. The other mother cooks from scratch. The other mother is an idol. The other mother dresses with tact. The other mother has great legs. The other mother knows everything. The other mother doesn't worry. The other mother isn't me. Okay, so... We're going to tap into that because there is so much in that about not feeling like you're enough, comparing yourself to everyone else, that culture of looking at everyone and thinking that you never are measuring up right to that ideal. And that's such a good conversation for us to have. I'm going to pause on that for just a moment and read this perspective from the child. Another mommy, another mommy. How dare you even ask? Another mommy wasn't hired for this task. Another mommy could be a hack. Another mommy may not have my back. Another mommy wasn't in our womb. Another mommy, no thank you. 
And I think that that is, I love the juxtaposition of this where it's so often as moms, we question ourselves and are, we're always self-critical of what we lack. And for our child, they're looking at us and thinking, I don't care about all that stuff. I just want you. And I think that that this paints that so beautifully. Tell me about your process of putting these together. Um, yeah, I think that might be one of my favorite poems in the book. I, you know, my, my start in my career was in wellness and fitness. And I maybe had this idea that I'm going to have this baby and I can snap back into shape super quickly. Like I have the tools, I have the means, I work out pregnant women all the time. And because of everything that happened with my mom, I, I was in the hospital often. I had, I, I put on a lot of weight. It was very, it was very, very hard. Felt like I was stuck in mud. And so on a physical level, I felt like I compared myself to my ideal and it, that that was like kind of slashed. And then on top of that, I felt like every single one of my friends was just had a grandma that they just like could run to. And I just, I wasn't even envious. I was just like, I just, I don't know. I felt like the the rug had been pulled out from underneath me. I just didn't understand. So I, I just was comparing my experiences because, you know, in the beginning, someone saying, oh, this will pass or that's nice. Like, that's helpful. And your mom being like, you're doing a good job. So I was like kind of looking for the good job. But then I would look, stare at my daughter and I'm like, you know what? She's fed. She, she's, she's like going to the bathroom. She's smiling. She's happy. And I know like I've, I was so close to my mom and she had countless conversations with me about like how she wished she could do this or do this from that for me. And I always thought she was the best. And so I think, you know, in those moments, I wanted to remember, you know, her point of view here is going to be different than mine. And I don't have to project that onto her. So we can both live in this dual experience together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you hit that right on the head when you said so often, I think that we are searching for that validation. And Mm -hmm. if we don't have someone that's giving us that validation, we have to be the ones to set up our own mindset and really take time to validate ourselves. Like I've been listening to uh, Mel Robbins most recent book and it's called the high five. Am I saying it right? It's something like the high five challenge. I'm going to look it up real quick just to make sure that I am saying it right. It's called the high five habit. And in her perspective, and this is something she started doing for herself. She physically high fives herself in the mirror every single day. And with that high five, she'll say some mantras to herself, like, I am valued, I am enough, I am exactly where I need to be, you know, whatever those mantras are. And I think so often we're used to looking for validation outside of ourselves, whether that's through social media, liking or commenting or our own spouse or our parents or someone else saying we're doing a good job, especially if you're a words of affirmation person like I am. And so listening to this book, it's been really impactful to me to think that we ourselves can connect in a physical and mental way and literally give ourselves a high five and say, you're doing an awesome job. And so I love that your poem is a nod to that, that you may see other people and you may think it's not enough, but in reality, from the child's perspective, it's exactly what they need because it's you. It's totally true. I mean, I feel like I learned this lesson 
you know, the big lessons in life, you need repeated sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, and when I first started teaching fitness about 20 years ago, I, it was so apparent to me in the classroom, the competitive nature of like you walk into a classroom, they might be someone who as simple as like just dresses the way you want and, and you're not there. And I, I felt that as a teacher, the competitive nature of a classroom. But the more I opened up and was more vulnerable myself and was more approachable or relatable, the more they were approachable and relatable. I would be intimidated by clients. They'd be intimidated by me. But if you kind of give yourself the space to share openly or say like, hey, we both have emotional and physical weight that weighs us down, then you start the pathway to connecting. And so I I really love the idea of high-fiving in the mirror and just the acknowledgement of the kind of the weight of words, like the the mommy word is a big weighted word in good ways and in like heavy ways or, you know, another mommy. These are things that hold power in our brains. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think with this culture, we talked for just a moment before we were recording here today, but I feel like there's this polarizing uh, message that's being sent to mothers right now, whether it's either everything is perfect and you snap right back and it looks perfect or like demonizing how hard motherhood can be and really painting a picture of who would ever choose this. And so I think that middle ground of authenticity and really tapping into the beautiful side, as well as the authentic side of what motherhood is as the whole package is really what we want to share and what our future generations need to hear. Because I think that the polarizing opposites are damaging to everyone that those are, it's either way worse, people (laughs) painting it way worse than it actually is, or making it look like everything's always perfect, like a highlight reel. Right. So I love that your book really brings in both without having to go to those extremes. Thank you. I, I, I like the idea of a steady canter, you know, when I was younger, I was probably more stallion like, but there's something about (laughs) motherhood when you're like, kind of like, you know, I have an even pace here. You trust that there is always makes me amazed that there's 86,400 seconds in a day. That's like a lot of time, a lot of seconds where you can have a lot of feelings, a full spectrum of emotions. And I really wanted to do the artwork in this book too, to bring in the light kind of nature. You know, I would say as a mission, I'd want this book to be a fresh take on motherhood, that motherhood and childhood experience, that duality of it, linking them together more powerfully beyond the mommy and me pajama set, you know, I think is a really beautiful aim for us as a society to go towards. Yeah, absolutely. What would be the one message that you hope to give to your ideal reader? First of all, who, who would you say your ideal reader is? And then what do you hope that they take away from reading your book? I'm actually shocked. My ideal reader is really any mom. And I'm shocked at how many husbands have said that they really enjoyed reading this book. I've I've heard about families reading it alongside their child. I had one mom tell me that she's just reading one poem a night. It's near her bedside table. That's that's literally all she can handle time-wise. And then I have other moms that just go through it like within an hour. And so I think anybody who is looking to reminisce or delve deeper into the motherhood paradigm with their child 
is a, is an ideal customer for for this book. And I what I'm getting a lot of, which has been exciting, is a lot of people buying multiple books. It's it's become like an ideal Mother's Day gift, I think. So that's exciting. You know, I have grandmas saying that this took them back to a place. You know, when they were breastfeeding and figuring that out, and it's good to reminisce and how a lot of those things, like maybe the actual practicality of the subject has changed. Like, obviously they're not breastfeeding now as a grandma, but the same sentiment of what they're dealing with, of feeding, trying to be enough for their grandchild or their own child is still there. So they're really relating to it on that level. Yeah. I love that so much. And I, I just want to say, I know your mom is so proud of you. Like this is such a beautiful work of art. And I think it's going to bless so many people. And I love that you have the idea of doing this together with your child, because I think it opens up a lot of dialogue and it, that could be a child of any age. And that's something I'm a big fan of. I wrote a journal called time for us, which is a parenting and child journal where you ask questions and answer them together. So I'm very much about doing it as an activity together. So tell us where our readers can find this book. So you can purchase it at me, M-E-Mommy, M-O-M-M-Y.com, memommy.com. And then I'm on Instagram at Rupa underscore mommy. I just started Instagram. I'm new to the Instagram world. That's it. That's it. That I, I feel like I could write a whole book about Instagram, the other mommy on Instagram. And uh, yeah. So it's Rupa underscore mommy over there. And I have to say, just to build on what you just said, doing an artistic project with your child where they they draw a picture of what feeding time or nap time looks like versus what you think it is, is so eye-opening. So I, I hope that this idea of duality can manifest not only in poetry, in illustrations, and in general as an activity. I, I think it's important. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been so nice chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. Such an honor. This episode is brought to you by Station Park, who believes in women-led businesses that are changing the world. If you want a place to come visit to dine, shop, or connect with your loved ones, Station Park is only 20 minutes away from downtown Salt Lake City and has a gorgeous outdoor dining and shopping experience that you can walk among the shops and create memories that will last forever. If you happen to be in the middle of the square, Twigs Restaurant is right there in the middle, one of my very favorites. You've got to get the pesto margarita chicken and end the night with the dipping donuts. Trust me, tell them I sent you, it will change your life. Hey CEOs, thank you so much for spending your time with me. If you found this episode inspiring or helpful, please let me know in a comment and a five-star review you could have the chance of being a featured review on an upcoming episode. Continue the conversation on Instagram at Call Me CEO Podcast. And remember, you are the boss.